listening to The Good Fight, where campus meets Christ. Hello, hello. I'm glad. Grace Gonzalez. I'm glad you remembered. I did remember. I remembered split second before it was almost done. And I'm Timothy Kinneman. And today we're talking about biblical equality. Biblical equality. And when we say biblical equality, we're contrasting it against, um, I don't know if it's really the dominant, but it's certainly a dominant view of equality in contemporary secular society. And even in some cases um, within the church. And it's called critical theory. Critical race theory. Critical race theory, but... Critical theory in general, because yeah. critical race theory is oh, critical theory specific towards, yes, yes, as it yes. applies to race. Um, but critical theory in general Correct. looks at a lot more structures, than yeah. just race. So why why are we talking about equality now? Well, I mean, I think it's a good follow-up from our last, our last week conversation yeah. mm-hmm. um, on the sin of racism. And really because part of it is, well, if you believe that racism is a sin, what do you do then? Like, how do you, Yeah. how does the Christian worldview kind of um, structure your thoughts going forward, right? Um, and a big part of racism is, as we were talking about, this disbelief, or a, yeah, a disbelief in equality, um, as we were talking about last week, kind of rooted in pride, um, or not necessarily just pride, but also um, the idea of like seeing yourself as better than them. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think as we use the term others. Others, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can tie even further back to the, the two weeks before last week where we looked at the the relationship between genders. Right. Um, that was very much a conversation structured around what is equality. And if you subscribe to this contemporary view of equality... I mean, you're going to disagree with those conversations we had. Right. Fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of looping back, covering our tracks a little bit. Tying everything together. See how and, it goes. And as we move forward, too, I think I think what we look at here um, could even structure some of the conversations we have in the following weeks. Mm-hmm. Because many of these questions in contemporary society are fundamentally rooted in this question of equality. Yeah. Especially at Columbia, this is the dominant view that Christianity has to counter. So, let us begin by explaining that none of this comes from my own brain. I, uh, I'm doing most of my research here off of a document put out by this organization called Ratio Christi, which is Latin for the Reason of Christ. Um, it's, a, it's an apologetics group organization. They like to help with campus ministries and and do apologetics there and this is a a particularly it's like a 30 page pamphlet that they've created um and it's by two like when you call a 30 page document a pamphlet it is a pamphlet it's like a mini it's not even a book 30 pages i read it in like 20 minutes okay go for it (laughs) maybe more of it um it's by dr neil shinvi and dr pat sawyer so i trust these guys that they know what they're talking about and I read all 30 pages, but um, I don't know. I think, I think it, it, it goes in further depth than some of the articles, but what, we have an article from Tim Keller. Yep, we have an article from Tim Keller. Um, we also have... Oh, is this where you... That's where I found it. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So the, yeah. Same, the same folks who um, Tim read the pamphlet on 
also wrote an article for Gospel Coalition. Yeah, and that article is it's a con, it's a condensed version of yeah. the full thing. So if you want to read a condensed version, you can just go to um, thegospelcoalition.org and look up the incompatibility of critical theory and Christianity, and uh, that's pretty much what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I like the depth that this goes into. It has more of an academic feel to it. Um, so a good place to begin now is to define what critical theory is. Um, and this is actually kind of a, a difficult thing um, because I think a lot of Christians who are uh, predisposed against it um, like to just group it all together into like one... Yeah, one lump and then just right. get rid of it all. Yeah. And that's often hard to do because it, it is kind of built on a framework that's drawing from so many different fields, right? But I think what we can do is look at what it means in contemporary, like in the contemporary debate mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of draw a distinction from critical theory in total, uh, which is uh, this massive academic beast versus kind of the contemporary critical theory um, and what that means in our society. So that's what we're going to do. Sounds like a plan. So these guys kind of break it down into, I think, three? Yes. Yeah, three parts. And the three parts. So the first part is identity. So what what, uh, what does critical theory say about identity, do you think? I don't know what you're trying to get at. Oh, well, I'm, just, I'm just interested in... And what do you think? Um, no, I still don't know where you're trying to get at. Okay. Phone a friend? Phone a friend. Okay. It's back to you. So critical theory, contemporary critical theory, right? This um, modern thing that we're looking at, views identity as a stratum of different uh, categories, right? Based on race, gender, class, socioeconomic class, right? All of these different categories um, that are based on a narrative of oppression. So your identity is based on different categories of oppressive, different oppressive categories, right? In which there is an oppressor class and an oppressed class. Mm -hmm. Or maybe maybe we can break that up even more. Within each class, there's, I think that you can say that there's a ranking of who is more oppressive versus who is less oppressive. Right, in the sense that it's not just, it's not merely two categories. Within each category, you have some who are oppressed by one group, but who can oppress another group. Sure. I think a lot of it depends, though, on the, the category, right? So age is one, because it depends on the variable, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, if it's a, if it's a continuous variable, then it, it is going to have different layers to it. But if it's a dichotomous variable, like... Are you a male or are you a female? Okay. Yeah, I see what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. Then it's dichotomous. You know, there's two categories. So I think... Well, there, except for the fact about. that... The fact that... I know what you're going to say, right? Transgender. But that itself is its own category separate from sex. Oh, so you'd say... Okay. So there's sex and then there's gender. Okay, okay. I see what you're getting at. Yeah. But anyway, that's... And when you throw them all together, you get something called... Identity. No. Yes. Um, your identity yes, is composed identity. of parts. But if you're part of multiple oppressed groups, you get intersectionality. Ah, fancy word of the day. Fancy word of the day. So intersectionality just means that when you 
sum up all of your identities, right? Because they ex they exist distinct from each other. So if you're a woman, but you're also black, those categories like add up. But if you're a woman and you're white, they don't necessarily interact with each other. I think it's complicated. I'm confused. I'm so, going to presume some listeners are confused too. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, maybe I can say that a little easier. Um, it's the idea that they they act in diff they have different spheres of influence. Okay. So that you know your life is kind of broken up into your identity, your different identities, right? And so even if you don't, even if you aren't part of the oppressed class in every category, that doesn't negate where you are the oppressed class or where you aren't. Are you are you saying that? Let's say you fit into two classes that are oppressed, mm -hmm. as opposed to someone who only fits into one, let's say, hypothetically. Yeah. You're saying that just because a person only fits into one doesn't, fit that they, doesn't mean that they fit into neither. Sure. I guess. They don't cancel each other out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But an important distinction to make is the definition of oppression. What do we define oppression as? I mean, it seems to be very tied to the idea of power. Yeah. who has yeah. more or less power, right? Someone who is, this is going to be a very bad example um, and very much not meant to encompass the entire theory. But for example, when I was a young, small child and I had an older sister, she had more more power over me, right? Physical, mm -hmm. in this case, it's physical dominance of, by the nature of me being two years younger, if I tried to wrestle her, I never won because <laughs> she was physically much stronger than I was, Um has physical power. Obviously, that's a crude metaphor mm -hmm. in the sense that it really doesn't fit over quite as well. But that's like the idea of her being my oppressor, if you will. Obviously, think of her pinning me down. Um, that that ultimately had to do with the power structure. Yes, that is the. But I think your example is actually more of a non-critical theory definition of oppression. Oh, uh, right? yeah, I guess that's true. Because it's it's her actually. Using right. a direct a, yeah. act of force to put you down, right? right? It's that kind of force. Whereas, I'm going to quote here. So, according to critical theory, oppression should additionally or even primarily be understood in terms of hegemonic power, the ability of a particular group to impose its norms, values, and expectations on the rest of society. And then they, they quote somebody else here. Quote, in any relationship between groups that define one another men slash women, able-bodied slash disabled, young slash old, for examples, the dominant group is the group that is valued more highly. So there's a sense of societal value, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then dominant groups set the norms by which the mi minoritized group is judged. So it's an idea of social influence rather than actual pushing down, if that makes sense. Yeah. So my question, how does this critical theory definition of identity interact with a Christian view of identity? Well, I think that's a very large question, given that it's the question we're going to be answering in the entire podcast. Not really. This is one out of three categories. Identity as opposed to? Well, we, ha we have identity first, and then we will be looking at liberation, and then we will be looking at access to truth. Mm, I see. Well, I guess when it comes to identity, there is obviously within the Bible... The idea that the ultimate identity that matters is your relationship to Christ. Mm -hmm. um, vertical. 
Yes, as opposed to... Horizontal. Correct. Um, and so as we've seen in previous weeks, it means that that dis- like the distinction between races or genders, etc., are not... I don't know the right way to frame this, are not what one's identity is found in. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, it's found in your, like, your relationship to God. Um, I think we haven't mentioned this yet. I don't know if you had a plan for when to. But I think another key aspect here is that there are certain ways in which critical theory and biblical equality do overlap. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, one of them is that, well, specifically when it comes to critical race theory... Um, it's like race is seen as a social construct, yeah. which is something that the Bible does affirm, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's also something that's affirmed in the Bible. Um, obviously the distinction being in the Bible, your race does not make up your identity or define your identity. Right. Um, and it also, oh my goodness, I lost my second point. I liked it though. I don't know. Continue, Tim. Yeah, I mean, when I think of of biblical, oh, and it doesn't, it goes, it doesn't go away. Like it, 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 it will be renewed. It will be made new in the new heavens. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. Expanding out a little bit on the the well, going in and out at the same time, I guess, on the biblical definition of identity, though, I think it really comes down to the image of God, right? So oh oh. So no matter who you, yes. no matter Christian or non-Christian, right? We're going to believe as Christians that all people are made, we've talked about this the last three weeks, yeah, made are made in the, in the image of God. So even if, you're hor- if, even if your vertical relationship is non-existent, you still have that vertical relationship of creator to created. Mm-hmm. And when we say created, it is created in the image of the creator. And that applies to all people, whether you're part of a critical theory defined oppressed class or oppressive class you have that identity as the image of god image bearer of god image bearer yeah that makes more sense grammatically you're not are you actually the image of god or are you the image bearer of god i think you're the image bearer of god i'm just thinking about the ten commandments yeah i think that does make more sense to say it that way so that's identity so we see already there is a disconnect, right? Because when your identity is, is based in this established principle, the image bearer of God, I am not made more in the image of God than you, Grace Lita, in case you didn't know. I'm shocked. <laughs> Versus when you look at this critical theory definition of identity, it's, it's naturally othering, I guess, right? In that you have different categories. Um, and that's that's kind of one of my problems with it in general, is it doesn't solve the problem of othering. Couldn't someone say that critical theory is merely observing the state of the world as opposed to prescribing? That's where we're going to go now, actually. Oh, perfect. Uh, because the next thing to look at is what these authors call liberation, um, which is the next kind of major dominant piece of critical theory. So... We have your identity, right? Your identity is rooted in whether you're an oppressed or oppressive class based on the value of those classes in society. Mm-hmm. So some abstract notion of how much power or influence they have over the values of society. And liberation then is kind of the goal. It's the purpose of your life 
when you believe in, in critical theory. And this leads to a term um, that has a nuanced definition in critical theory is social justice. And so liberation is the idea that you know, you're taking the oppressed class mm -hmm. and you're imbuing them with the power that the oppressive class has so that they can rise above the social norms and then exert their influence over society. Another, another aspect of this is um, what do you do if you believe in critical theory, right, but you're part of an oppressive class because, you're at, because mm -hmm. of your identity? The answer is to divest yourself of the power, right? To um, submit, I guess. Submit to the, quote-unquote, authority of the oppressed class. And in that way, you know, you're, you're achieving the idea of liberation even though, you, you know, you can't change your identity. Yeah. But you are positively acting in liberation to achieve that goal. Would encompass in there also be seeking the liberation of others? Yes, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's providing platforms, providing resources, you know. I mean, I think there are different way examples we can look at in society for how this happens. But I think one way to look at it is it's almost like universal affirmative action in everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're constantly picking up the identities that are oppressed and elevating them. So then I guess potentially a question to ask here is like if you are in a position of power mm -hmm. what's like what's the contrast to that? I'm thinking specifically of like um like Titus where you have basically in the Bible basically a letter to a slave master mm -hmm. to um basically welcome back his slave who would, who would run away um and to treat him basically with dignity and respect and, and worth mm -hmm. and it seems like well if if that's how it's prescribed in the bible like what does that look like in contrast to because it seems like giving a voice to people who don't otherwise necessarily have a voice isn't inherently a bad thing right in fact i think a lot of christians would say no that's probably is good mm -hmm. so i think it might be helpful to kind of address where you like where the distinction is you know below the surface of that like what what is being assumed or what in, yeah, what in the assumptions are different? Well, I think first, I think it, it's almost necessarily rooted in what we've already talked about is the definitions of identity, mm -hmm. which is dependent on the definition yeah, of oppressed yeah. or oppression, right? And um, as we, we see in these, that there's a presumption against certain universal moral claims that the Bible takes. Mm -hmm. Right. So an example of this would be in ideas of sexuality, right, of personal sexual norms. Yeah. Um, you know, the Bible is pretty explicit on sexual prescriptions and critical theory will view those as a sort of I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second when we talk about access to truth. But they're a sort of um, force that controls how people think. Mm hmm. And so liberation means giving force to that idea, even though it's morally wrong from a Christian worldview. Yeah, I think maybe even another way of saying that is um, the fact that as a Christian, 
we believe that there are universal morals. Yes. And so regardless of whether, like regardless of the power that someone has, the power someone has doesn't dict, like based on their social, I'm blanking on the word, standing, mm-hmm. um, doesn't dictate the morality of their beliefs, whether that be because they fall in the category of oppressed or oppressor, according to critical theory. Mm-hmm. Because I think that, I think that is, yeah, I think that's a good, a key distinction to make in terms of like, yeah, morality has nothing to do with the power that someone has. Yeah. And that's getting a lot into what we're about to talk about. No, so sorry. these, <laughs> I mean, these guys have another example. They say, for example, while there is no doubt that overt sexism still exists in our society and that violence against women is a tremendous injustice, right? That's a Christian worldview would affirm that. Mm-hmm. Contemporary critical theory would define oppression to include not only these gross manifestations of misogyny, but the entire system of ostensible male supremacy and social dominance. As long as men still impose their, quote, male norms and values on culture, women are an oppressed group that needs to be liberated. Consequently, critical theorists would work to fight not only against sexual harassment and domestic violence, but against more subtle forms of male supremacy, like the existence of traditional gender roles in marriage or assumed color preferences in children's nurseries and clothing. So it's not just that a critical theorist would be against the overt actions of oppression, right? What, what we as Christians would define as oppression. But um, it's also liberation from, I mean, you know, like uh, the the gender reveal videos. Yeah. You know, like everywhere now. It's literally pink or blue. And that's how you know. Well, that's a form of oppression because it's assuming a sort of narrative about people blue for boys pink for girls Mm -hmm. so i don't know if that answers your question no i think that's good okay and this contradicts the christian worldview of liberation almost inherently just based on the definition of oppression and i think a lot of it rests too on this last point which is access to truth Mm -hmm. and this this for me i think is a lot of what Christians think about when they think about critical theory is the idea of access to truth. I, I mean, you are—you already sound like an expert on it, just based on the example you just talked about. What do you mean? So it's—it's it's this idea that, you know, based on your identities, if you're oppressed, mm. you have more access. You have your your personal experience provides you access to a sort of moral truth. Right. About the the way things work. And I think part of that has to do with the idea of like group identity and responsibility yeah. as opposed to individual responsibility. Yeah. Huge. Um, because I think it is like it is important to note that obviously we believe humans are sinful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means that people are going to believe things that are sinful, right? Like I yeah. mean history <laughs> literally speaks to that in volume. Um, and so, but the key distinction is that just because, let's say, we take, let's take our founding fathers, for example, mm-hmm. um, just because they were wrong in one area doesn't negate truth in another area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why is because truth is, is universal. It's external. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, and maybe on top of that, it's, they, like, they obviously, according to, critical theory were in an oppressive or an oppressive mm-hmm. um, group or class or 
I don't know what the right... Multi- multiple oppressive identities. Identities, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. But because, like, we wouldn't say that because of that, they cannot be... Or, like, they can't be right about anything. Right. Um, because we recognize they are sinful, fallen people. Mm-hmm. And so they will be sinful in various aspects in their life. Um, but because just because they're sinful doesn't mean that they can't recognize truth in any respect. Right. It's it's equal access to mo- to truth. Yeah. You That's know? a fancier way of putting it. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the, the Christian worldview says... Uh, <laughs> All men are like grass. <laughs> the grass withers, the flower falls, but the, the word, word of the Lord, Lord stands, stands forever. forever. Yeah, so it's right. Can you tell we've been going to Presbyterian <laughs> Church? <laughs> you, I mean, you have right there the the image of the mm-hmm. Christian worldview on truth. Yeah. the The human perspective, if it, it withers, mm-hmm. but God's word is truth. It stands forever. Yeah. Um, and can I quote part? This yeah, is actually from yeah. the article. Um, cause I, I like, obviously the way that Christians approach individuals mm-hmm. is I think inherently different from a secular perspective because from a secular perspective, there isn't the conception of sin in the same way right. where there isn't the idea that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Um, I missed sin there, but I already said it in the previous sentence anyway. Um, but yeah, there isn't this idea that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And the real, re, the re, reason why that's important is because obviously people from a, I say this as a Christian, but obviously people are sinful. Um, at the very least, I think everyone can recognize that people are not perfect. Yeah. Um, and if you aren't able to look, if you aren't able to s- look at that and say that is sin in the world, I think it. it I think it makes sense <laughs> in a weird way, um, or not a weird way, but I think it makes sense to say, well, it's because they are of a certain identity. Um, instead, right? Mm-hmm. It's shifting the way that the way that you're looking at sin. And I think that's where it's important to recognize that critical theory does identify certain things that I think are true about the world, Definitely, about the yeah. state of the world. Yeah. Um, but the way that Christians approach it is inherently going to be different mm-hmm. just based on the fact that we believe in sin. Right. Um, and so the quote that I wanted to get at but i that was a long introduction yes, that was a long introduction um it's from the article um in the gospel coalition and it goes christianity provides us with an overarching meta-narrative that runs from creation to redemption we are creatures made in god's image who have sinned against him who need to be rescued through the atoning work of jesus and who are called to love both god and neighbor um and i really like that way of approaching it because it doesn't negate any harm that has been caused or any sins that have been mm-hmm. committed. Um, instead, it is recognizing them and affirming them. But the approach is is different because it's coming at it from, no, people are sinful. Right. They have fallen. And we see that manifested in the world through sinful actions. Mm-hmm. And sinful beliefs. And sinful beliefs. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, critical theory being case in point is sinful belief. But that doesn't mean that it's completely wrong, as we've looked at. So one of the things it's actually right about is, I mean, in a nuanced sense, right about, um, is this idea that power can corrupt how you view things, right? So the, I say that it's nuanced because the critical theory approach says, well, if you're an oppressor, then your perspective is corrupt 
because you have power in society. And if you're oppressed, then your view is uncorrupted because you don't have that influence in society, mm -hmm. right? So that isn't true prima facie, you know, all over. But it is true in the sense that, you know, power can corrupt how you view things, right? If you are oppressive in a Christian sense, mm -hmm. it's, it's a result of sin. And you're going to want to maintain that power. Yeah. And so, you know, you will very reasonably manipulate your perspective on things to justify. I mean, I mean, we can just look at the biblical justification for slavery that we looked at last week. Mm -hmm. Right. That was obviously sinful. Right. Right. And it was it was a viewpoint that was distorted by power, but power in a very sinful, oppressive Christian sense. And I think that speaks to the, like, obviously the Bible does address the temptation that comes from power. Mm -hmm. um, I think one way we see that is the way, like, the temptation that comes from wealth, where wealth and power yeah. are obviously very interlinked, um, especially in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, like, you had money, you, you had power, they were very interconnected. Um, and obviously, Christ, like, Christ condemns not condemns wealth, but condemns the pursuit, uh, the, yeah, the pursuit I mean, the, of wealth for its own end, right? As an idol, um, saying things like it's easier to, like, to go through an eye of a camel, or, or sorry, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, <laughs> it's easier to go through an eye of a camel. <laughs> it's easier to go for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to enter the gates of heaven. Yeah, um, and like, I don't know if you've ever looked at a camel and looked at a needle, but like the fact that I struggle to get my thread <laughs> through the eye of a needle speaks to how hard it, like you need a miracle to mm -hmm. get a camel through there. And also, I mean, that's not the only example. You have the story of the rich young ruler, right? Right. Where Jesus says, you know, sell all your possessions and come follow me. I mean, a bunch of Jesus's talks towards the Pharisees also. Mm -hmm. A man cannot serve two masters. Mm -hmm. uh, and also... In Timothy, Second Timothy is the Second Timothy where Paul writes, "Man cannot, or money is the root of all evils." Oh, I don't know. Or something like that. But yeah, it's yeah. in one of the Timothys, I think. And the same idea of like obviously pervasive in the Bible is this idea that we are selfish beings, mm -hmm. and obviously if you if something is benefiting you, it's because you're in a position of power. It's easy to. Become, brush off become egotistic yeah or and brush off the like the moral the morality of the situation mm -hmm. and this isn't to say that the power and wealth are necessarily bad right because it's not it's not the power and wealth themselves that are right it, it, the problem um i think okay let's talk specifically about power maybe i'm reading a book called mind mindfulness of your soul or something like that i don't remember i keep getting it wrong but to the point that i think now i'm just saying the wrong title consistently <laughs> um <laughs> It's a good book. <laughs> but one of the things he was talking about is the idea that Jesus is the most powerful person you can conceive of. Yes. Like if you are seeking power, Jesus is the one to look at mm -hmm. um, in the sense that he clearly demonstrates that power itself is not the issue. The mm -hmm. sinful nature of man is because Christ was the most powerful human that has ever existed right. by the nature of him being God. Um, and yet he served others mm -hmm. ultimately like dying on the cross for us um and so that's just an example of of power itself not being he used his power as a servant yeah and 
I think ultimately that's the way Christians should view using power. Mm -hmm. It's to use power, not necessarily in the liberation sense of critical theory, but in a sense that you're, you know, you're actually submitting yourself to other people. Yeah. You're being a servant to them. And I mean, you're loving your neighbors as yourself more than yourself. Yeah. More than yourself, which is obviously a high standard. It is. <laughs> like it's not easy. We're mm-hmm. not saying it is. And it, it applies to wealth too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, wealth is actually, you, I mean, you can't tithe if you don't have money. Right. And part of, uh, I think you, you see in Proverbs even, a lot of statements about, you know, do this and the Lord will bless you. Do this and the Lord will bless you, right? Mm-hmm. And that sense of blessing can have a sense of wealth to it as well. Who's that guy who talks a lot about the Christian, talks a lot about like... Oh, wealth. oh, oh my word. The moment you said that, um, Dave, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he, his whole point is getting people debt-free. Like that's right. not his whole point. He also is, you know beyond that but yeah he's i think he he's probably a good example actually mm-hmm. um in the sense that not only does he advocate um getting like becoming debt free um but he also advocates once you have wealth to give generously like that's his whole motto mm-hmm. of which is which is so interesting because he'll like he'll say to people who call in and are like oh, i have forty thousand dollars in debt like from student loans. And he's like, oh, I guess your family is going to be living on rice and beans for the next few months until you pay it off. And then you have someone who calls in and has like, like has gotten rid of all their debt and is now like has saved a bunch mm-hmm. um, and has like a decent um, emergency savings. And he'll be like, well, well, it's time for you to like give away most of your money. It's, yeah, it's the time for you to start living generously. You can do it. Right. <laughs> Which I think is, I think is a very good attitude. Anyway, that's a tangent, but wealth. Not inherently wrong. Exactly. But the sin of man makes it hard. I actually want to make one caveat to to close out here, which is that critical theory is often kind of lumped in with a whole view of Mm postmodernism, right? And I think sometimes, it depends on the individual, of course, but sometimes um, we can mix it in with moral relativism, which says there are no moral truths, and that's different because I think critical theory very explicitly does show us that there are moral yeah. truths that they believe in, right? They believe that the oppressed people ought to be liberated. It's it's not just, it would be nice, you know? Right, which is something Christians agree with. Exactly. 125%. We just disagree immensely on the actual content of those moral truths and the authority that gives us access to those moral truths was that not what you're saying maybe i was saying that um i was thinking new heaven new earth kind of kind of idea of there won't be a power structure in heaven that is like maybe that's the wrong way of putting it yeah um because i don't i'm conflating i'm just yeah anyway that's going to be me contradicting myself by using two different ways of thinking about power um but i think Critical theory is right in identifying that the world is not the way that it should be. Yeah. Amen. And Christians 100% agree with that, that Mm -hmm. the world is not the way that it should be. But what Christians look forward to, or the way that, I don't know how to phrase this properly, but the way that we will get to where we want to be Mm -hmm. is different. Right. 
Right, because that idea of social justice is very much in a critical theory approach. It's about changing the structures of society, right? And by changing society, you can achieve the perfect society. And that's not what Christians are going to say. Because we are inherently sinful. Mm -hmm. So no matter how much you change society, we will always sin and fall short of the glory of God until Jesus comes again and we live in the new heavens and the new earth. There was one other thing I was going to say, but I, I can't. I just lost it. Um, yeah, bro. Man. Do you remember what topic was on? I don't. I don't remember anything about it. Well, while you're thinking, I'll give a short recap. Is that okay? Yes, please. So the first thing we looked at was ident- like our identity. Looking at what like what is the Christian identity rooted in. Mm-hmm. And then give me the name of the second part. Liberation. And then we looked at liberation. Once again, contrasting the Christian perspective, saying that we, that there's not, well, I guess now I'm conflating, I'm getting confused with the third. What was the third? Access to truth. Access to truth. Oh. Oh, I really did cross over the third. Yeah, you really did. I was jumping the gun. Um, What was your point of the second one then? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just applying identities to society. Oh, and saying that they're different. And kind of the purpose you know, what we ought to do is to liberate. Ah, is to, okay, yes, is to liberate those who are oppressed, as opposed right. to the Christian perspective, which doesn't disagree that there are people who have more or less power, but does disagree in in terms of what we ought to do, um, in terms of everyone has, oh, and this is where it gets to the third, where everyone has access to moral truth, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of power. Access and inaccess. Yeah. All people yeah. are fallible. But all people also have equal, you know, there's equal access, but there's also equal opportunity to fail. It's it's not based on your identity at all. I remember the last thing I wanted to say now. I have this overwhelming sense that critical theory is based on fundamentally Christian notions of what is good. And I think that's why it's easy for Christians today to not have problems with it not only because critical theory in many ways just co-ops christian language and radically alters the definitions and um in that sense you know if you don't know what the def the real definitions of the words critical theorists are using it's easy to say oh yeah liberate the oppressed i agree with that you just don't agree with that in the way that they mean it but this idea of liberating the oppressed I feel like that is a fundamentally Christian idea. I, I mean, I agree, for sure. I mean, I think that goes back to everything we've been talking about, of this idea that, like, there's no Jew or Gentile, no male or female. Right. All are, all are, we're all one in Christ. And also the idea of, like, us all be cre- being created in the image of God, mm-hmm. where we do know that what we have right now is not what God ultimately desires. Mm-hmm. And that it will, in the new heaven be different um and that because we know that what we have right now is not what god desires we ought to seek what what he does desire right 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 um we shouldn't be like hands off about it and obviously that does manifest i mean like you just think about all of the commandments to love the poor mm-hmm. um like the poor and widows and fatherless like the basically those who had the least power in the New Testament. Yeah. 
and the church is directly commanded to take care of them Mm -hmm. and to look after them. It's that image of of servanthood we talked about with Christ. And also the last, the last, last thing, last, last thing, um, (laughs) just, just to kind of tie us back to the over overarching idea of equality, critical theory says equality is based on this, you know, the social structures of society and kind of the, the, influence that your identity has in society Mm -hmm. christianity says that equality is rooted in your identity as the image bearer of christ or of god christ works to and as you know as christians as being fundamentally related to each other through christ uh, being part of the family of god as opposed to retaining our fundamental primary identities as those kind of uh, disparate categories. So that's everything. I think that's good. I think that was a good conversation. Well, thank you all for tuning in. It was a joy to get to... um, Critical theory is a beast. ...to talk about this. We're still learning, so if you have any thoughts, questions, opinions, comments, concerns, uh, feel free to reach out to us at The Good Fight Pod on Instagram and Facebook or just at Good Fight Pod on Twitter if we still have it. I think we're considering just yeah, it's next. scratching it. Um, and if, you know, for whatever reason you don't have social media, good for you. I don't know if you watch Social Dilemma, but good for you. Um, in which case, totally feel free to reach out to us by email uh, to witnessthegoodfight at gmail.com. And if you don't have email... We're not giving out our phone numbers. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was going to consider the address, you know, oh. handwrite us a note or something. Yeah, handwrite us a note, but how are they going to get it to us? Uh, ask someone who knows us. At this point, if you really want our address, just ask us. I'm sure you can find a way. Yeah, but how can they ask us if they don't have access to technology? Get somebody else to listen to the podcast who has technology. Yeah, that sounds good. They have to have technology to listen. Anyway, um, all this to say... We hope we hear from you soon, and if not, we still hope you have a really great week, and you'll hear from us next week. And a great spring break. And a great spring break. Adios, y'all. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on The Good Fight, where campus meets Christ.